Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life choices of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. I'd like to thank our sponsor, The Money Nerve, a financial resource that helps you have a healthier relationship with money. Do you feel shame around your past financial decisions? Do you feel alone in your financial struggles? Do you self-sabotage your potential financial successes? Do you keep making the same choices, expecting different results? The Money Nerve has just launched a new online course called The Course to Financial Freedom. To learn more, go to themoneynerve.com forward slash course. The Money Nerve has an offer to all Money You Should Ask listeners for a 25% discount on the course. Use code MYSA, all caps, 25, and start your course to financial freedom now. Thanks again to our sponsor. Well, I am excited and super honored and privileged uh, to have our guest with us today. Um, and I, I normally don't do this, but I'm actually going to read her bio because I feel like I don't want to miss a thing. So, Susan, thank you and bear with me. Um, when Susan Liverpool was five years old, she spent Sunday afternoons entertaining her grandparents' friends. Everyone went visiting after church by singing and tap dancing to songs on the radio, much to the delight of the ladies. Not too much has changed since then. Susan still gets her greatest satisfaction from performing, whether it's her show-stopping impersonation of Tina Turner, which we'll have to find, reading from one of her books, or singing one of the songs she composed for one of her most recent endeavors, a children's book and a CD called The Lion and the Porcupine, which you can get on Amazon and you should check it out. It's a great, great story. You can learn about Penelope. In between, she has had a 40-year career as a registered nurse, been a single mom, and has led educational training for Landmark Worldwide, a global company that offers personal development programs. But the creative, artistic side of Susan's life has always been important. She published her first of three books of poetry visions, of poetry called Visions in 1995, and in 2010 published The Little Liverpool Diaries, a riotous and often poignant memoir of growing up in the 1950s of Chicago's South Side. The story of The Lion and the Porcupine, which is Susan's first book for children, arrived in the form of a dream. The next morning, she related it to a co-worker at the hospital where she was working at the time who encouraged her to write it down on paper. Susan took the advice, but, was, but soon after she finished writing the story, she realized it was asking for more. A song to accompany the tale popped into her head and then another and then another until she had a score of seven fully developed tunes to support the structure of the delightful story of two unlikely friends. At that point, Susan stepped up to add producing to her newly discovered songwriting talents. She produced the CD that is paired with the book, including the auditioning um, of the singers and working closely with the arrangements. The resulting book CD package is catching on with children and adults alike. Susan is in demand for book readings and has started working on a sequel about the giddy porcupine Penelope and her arrogant friend Lawrence, the king of the jungle. She's, she currently resides in Atlanta where she works as, um, still works as a nurse and just completed her sixth peach tree road race. And she has a grown son, Jason, who lives in Chicago. So Susan... I, like I told you, it's so great to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> it is so great. I I knew we were going to, well, I didn't know if you were going to like me, but I, I the minute I got your package, I got really excited. Um, I got these wonderful, um, so I'm going to show these. This is the CD. This is the Liverpool Diaries, the little Liverpool Diaries. And this is the lion 
and the porcupine. Can you see them? Yeah. They're great. Thank so you, you. got to check them out. I, I, I've read not all of the stories um, from the little Liverpool diaries, but they are very touching and I think they're very relevant. And I, I think I want to just start there for a second. Um, and well, before we jump into that, I'm going to just jump around because I have so much I want to talk to you about. Sure. Uh, you know, you are a registered nurse. Yes. Um, by trade, um, but an artist by calling. Yes. I mean, that's like, I, I feel like that's your soul's purpose. And um, actually, how did you feel? I retired. I just want You're to semi-retired. Mm-hmm. All right. Yay. All right. Yay. <laughs> and how did you, like, how did you tap in and how did you get support um, to follow this passion of, of writing and storytelling? Well, I have to acknowledge my mother and my uh, family because when I was little, I would spend my whole day on the weekends. On Saturday, I'd spend the whole day at the library the Chicago ah. Public Library. My mother would let me ride the bus all the way down to the library. So I read I read a lot. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> You're just trying to throw me off there. Okay. <laughs> okay, I get it. <laughs> the library, the library. Sorry. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I used to write stories and poems when I was little, so... All of that was sort of deeply nurtured by my mother. We went to the museum. She took me to concerts, theater. So my artistic nature was nurtured from a very young age. Then, you know, my mother said, you need a job. You know, like, you know, I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be a dancer on Broadway. She said, well, what if if you break your leg? You know, what are you going to do then? (laughs) That was, you know, that wasn't an unusual conversation in my community. You need right. to have a career where you can have a job. So I put all that aside and became a registered nurse because I thought, you know, I need to have a regular paycheck. And right. artists, the whole starving artist conversation, you know, was very much in my consciousness. Yeah. Do you think that you still do you believe that starving artists is 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 a valid uh, point of view. Um, in other words, I know that there are some people that feel like if you have to starve for your art mm. and I don't necessarily, I'm not sure that I agree with that. I think sometimes people do starve for their art because it's not, there's no endowments, there's no financial support, but, um, what is your take on the starving artist? I honestly, I used to definitely believe that, that if I want it, to pursue artists, my artistic talents full time, I was not going to make the kind of income that I make as a registered nurse. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I've been afraid to step out as an artist because I've got to have income to fall back on. That's been the conversation. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I haven't really honestly made a lot of money uh, with the books and, and the music. But I also, if I'm honest, haven't really uh, challenged myself to grow my community of support so that I could be, you know, further out there as an artist. That's something that I'm dealing with now, because when people are aware of my work, they love it. 
Yeah. You know? And kids love the line in the porcupine. I get videos where kids are dancing to the music. So there's been a challenge for me to break through and just be willing to be out there more. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's, what do you think the biggest, and I think this is true for a lot of people, whether they're artists or whatever their, their passion is, mm-hmm. um, there's this fear of giving voice to it. There's this fear of stepping up and saying, this is a piece of my soul. Um, I'm going to be vulnerable. I mean, maybe that's part of it, but like, this is a gift I want to bring to the world. Mm-hmm. And like, and then what, what holds you, what keeps you from, what is it for you that says, huh, I want to bring my voice, but like, what's, what might happen if you bring your voice fully? Well, at first it was, people may not like my work. Right. But I don't have any evidence that people don't like my work. So I can't use that (laughs) excuse anymore. Right. Okay. Um, Then it's like, well, if I just had uh, an agent or somebody who could partner with me to help me get my work out there, make the right kind of contacts, it seems like, oh, if I just knew somebody, because I'm, what people say and what I say is that my work belongs on the stage and I have performed my work on the stage. Cool. And it's really a great medium for my work, but it's like, well, if I could just find a theater or if I could just find somebody who would, you know, produce it or where do these people live? You know, how can I find them? So, and now with the COVID, it's like, <laughs> it's know, crazy it's, times. Yeah, it's crazy times. <laughs> so that, that was the kind of block. Yeah. In the block. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you have a quote that arts are a ministry to the soul. Yes. Can you say a little more on that? Yeah, I just made that up. Um, you know, I I love the arts. Mm-hmm. I, I love everything about the arts. And um, I was in a course about art, artistic talent and creativity. And that phrase just came to me. Yeah. Because my soul yeah. is nurtured when I'm in an artistic space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll just say you're preaching to the choir. So <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> now, I want to ask you, um, you know, so on this show, we talk about, um, you know, money beliefs and childhood memories. Mm. Um, and in reading um, the little Liverpool diaries, you know, I get a sense that um, you I, I don't know about income, which I'm going to be curious about. Yeah. But I get a sense that you had a very strong uh, support system within your family yeah. um, and that you were held accountable and that like your grandmother uh, <laughs> like was a, was a very strong influence about how to navigate through the world. Um yeah especially as a, a little girl um, of color growing up in a place where uh, the world isn't so welcoming. Right. Yeah. Can you tell me about, yeah, just tell me a little bit about your childhood and what you remember about money, uh, about finance and like, what were the values that were placed or brought to you that you remember? Well, I remember not, worrying about money. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But if I wanted something from the store, like I used to love Hostess Twinkies. <laughs> cool. And, I, and my mother, now my mother would give me enough money to go to the store to buy what she had on the list. Right. I don't know how she did it, but she was a teacher. Mm-hmm. But she wouldn't give me a penny over what, including tax. And I don't know how she knew that. <laughs> so I decided my grandparents lived upstairs. We, my mother and I lived downstairs. So I decided if I needed hostess Twinkies, right. I was going to have to go upstairs and go through my grandmother's pocketbook and get a quarter or a dime. Because mm-hmm. back then, a hostess Twinkie was like 10 cents. Right. So I kind of, I'm a thief. I was a thief. Well, I was just going to ask if it was a loan. <laughs> no, it wasn't a loan. It wasn't a loan. I wanted Hostess Twinkies. And if I was going to get Hostess Twinkies, I was going to have to take money out of her pocketbook to get it. My Courtesy of grandma. Courtesy of my grandmother. Um, so I kind of grew up not worried about money, not thinking uh, much about it. But I did have that little, if I want it, I'm going to figure out a way. To, to get, get it. it. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think your grandma ever knew that the 25 cents went missing? Yeah, I think eventually she did because <laughs> <laughs> she kept her pocketbook in on the dining room chair. And uh, I remember one time I went upstairs and it was moved to her bedroom. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> oh. And, you know, it's going to take a lot more to go through the dining room down the hall to the bedrooms, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh man. And what and do you remember anything that your um that your mom or your or your grandparents uh ever imparted to you about money or you know, save it or be, like yeah. what were the mantras that you remember? Save, save, save. You know, um my grandparents were real and my mother were extraordinary. My mother was really, I mean, when she passed away, she uh, donated $20,000 to the United Negro College Fund. Wow. We awesome. didn't even know she had that kind of, extra, I mean, what? Why didn't you give what? it to me? <laughs> so, I mean, she, and so she instilled save, save, save. My grandparents owned the building that we lived in. They paid off the mortgage when I was like 18 or 19 years old. Mm-hmm. That, they, you know, really, but I, the only, the, the time that I realized that money was important was when I turned 13 and my mother said, well, if you want extra money, you're going to have to get a job. And I was like, what? I'm 13. <laughs> Dang. So I had to get a part-time job at the dry cleaner. To have extra money. Yeah. And how was that taking that extra job? I mean. Oh, oh my God. I think <laughs> I lasted about a month or two. I don't remember. It's, it's all a blur because, you know, have you, ever, have you ever noticed when you go to the dry cleaner, they take your clothes and they just kind of dump them on. The, yeah. And I always wonder, well, how do they keep them separated? Right. Well, by not hiring people like me. <laughs> I would get the clothes. I would get them confused, you know, confused. And the lady did my mother a favor by offering that part-time job. And she said, I'm sorry. 
You know, <laughs> it's not working out. It's not working out. <laughs> got to go. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> oh, success. <laughs> And how long it was before you got your next part-time job or job? Uh, Well, that was when I was in, I went to the University of Illinois. Mm -hmm. But while I was in high school, we spent the last two years of high school where you could take a vocational training. So I took training to become a licensed practical nurse at LPN. Okay. And so I worked as an, when I graduated from high school, I also got my license as an LPN. So I worked on the weekends to help fund my college education. Okay. Oh, that was, yeah. (laughs) So I worked as a nurse on Saturdays to Mm -hmm. have extra money. uh, Because I had a full scholarship to the uh, complete full grant to the University of Illinois. But I needed money to, you know, walking around money, as they call it. Got to buy Twinkies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) They're good at any age. (laughs) Um, So I'm curious about a couple of things in your childhood. Um, I, you know, I was I was reading the story about funerals and wakes (laughs) and I was thinking, oh, no, it's (laughs) she's it's not going to happen. But uh, you knocked over the casket. (laughs) And. what was that must have been mortifying well actually <laughs> you know you have to embellish sometimes so okay. i didn't i didn't knock over the casket okay. i did touch the body the, yeah but to make the story more entertaining you uh. know, we say the casket fell over and the body oh my over. god well yeah. you know and i'm sure it's happened right i'm I mean, sure it's probably, happened so, yeah so I love that you embellished because I was sort of thinking that's what was going to happen. And then mm-hmm. I was more, I just thought, Oh my God, I would have been mortified, but how, I mean, but as a kid, right. There's a curiosity to mm-hmm. even, to even know, like, are, you know, are the, what, yeah. what does that feel like? And I know is I still remember. Touch yeah. it. And did you feel that your curiosity was met? Did you feel satisfied with, Oh, yeah. I never touched a dead body after that. I, kept them, I touched my granddaddy. I think I touched okay. him, but I wasn't. Yeah. Oh, God, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you were a bit inquisitive. Um, and I, But what I also appreciate was um, in each of these stories, there's a bit of a lesson or um, and even in the stories that you tell, there's a bit of uh, um, it's a, it's. You know, there's a piece of you that's the naive, right? Not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but there's a, a lesson that comes from it. Mm-hmm. Um, or eat, like I, uh, the Pickens Floral Club and uh, <laughs> passing around the photo and, um, right? And everybody wants to like, don't laugh. That's because mm-hmm. everybody wants to think everybody's baby's cute. And, <laughs> but, you know, there's a way that you tell the story, you know, that your grandmother was able to like, make it a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there's just something that's pure about that in these stories of, of just, uh, a, an innocent, um, an innocence as you're going through these things and not understanding impact or not understanding, um, the context of everything and then taking that moment and learning from it. Yeah. 
Did you read the Luden's cough drop story? No, I was just about to get to that one because I actually the one that sort of caught me um, um, that sort of caught me and it was a bit emotional for me was uh, my first fist fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so you really some of this is heavy stuff. I mean, at least for me, it's heavy stuff. And and I, I can't imagine um, being a child and having some of these experiences. So, um, yeah, I was I was moved by the that story. Um, yeah. By the way, I've written about 10 songs for the Little Liverpool Diaries. Oh, wow. Yeah. I haven't recorded them, but uh, when I performed, I did a one woman show last year. I mm-hmm. sang some of the songs and there's about two or three songs from that story in particular. So the songs kind of bring a little levity to the story because it is a heavy, a heavy story in, uh, from a five-year-old's perspective, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and touching on that, um, do you, for your own personal experiences growing up as a, as a five-year-old woman of color, there, there might. I would, I would imagine there were challenges. I would imagine there, w- the doors were not always open, Mm-mm. and and yet you, there seems to be a bit of um, grace and dignity in the way that your mom and your grandmother um, navigated through all of this, um, mm-hmm. and a, a lot of practicality mm-hmm. um, with heart, and and I didn't get any sense of bitterness or anger or, you know, frustration at the system. Um, and I, I just wonder, like, if you can just share a little bit about challenges you as a child remember going, wow, this feels like an obstacle. Um, you know, my mother and my grandmother were both activists. My mother was especially an activist and they, from their example, instilled in me, don't take anything from anybody. Yeah. Um, my grandmother was not a peace-loving kind of person. And when you read the, you know, she's like, fight first, ask questions later. No, and, I, and, I apl- and I actually applaud her for that. I mean, yeah. given, the, given the circumstance, good for her. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the first time I actually realized that the world was dangerous for black children, for black people mm-hmm. was when Dr. King was assassinated. Oh, well, actually before that, when he came to Chicago and marched okay. with Cicero. Well, actually before that, when my father took my stepbrother, half brother and I to a bowling alley in Cicero. Um, if you know anything about Chicago back then, you did not cross Cicero Avenue. Right. You, you could get killed. So right. he took us to a bowling alley in Cicero and uh, we were the only black people in there. And, you know, you could hear a pin drop in a bowling alley. <laughs> yeah. like, and yeah. Mouths dropped open and like, and I, you know, I, I, even though I was like 12 or something, I knew some, this, he shouldn't have brought us here. Right. So that was my first experience with, um, wow, people hate, people hate us. Yeah. And uh, being terrified. And then when Dr. King was, when he came to Cicero, to Chicago, my mother wouldn't let me 
joined the march, my church, you know, people marched from my church. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't let me go. She was, you know, worried about my safety. And yeah. when I watched it on television, I just couldn't believe it, that was a wake up call. Like yeah. the hatred. Um, and even Dr. King said he had never experienced such hatred uh, in, in the, you know, that he, this was even worse than Mississippi and Alabama, the hatred yeah. that he encountered. But when he was assassinated, I was, you know, we watched it on television. I remember my grandmother said, well, they finally got him. Mm. And then just has never, that really resonated. It's like, okay, you step out there, you help, you, you attempt to have a voice, you're going to die. Yeah. And uh, that was just indelibly, you know, pressed into my mind. It's like, wow, there's a consequence for speaking up and being a voice mm. if you're black. Yeah. But I can't help myself. I do. If, if, if you know me and spend more than two minutes around me, I'm very opinionated. And, and I, you know, I just, to my family's credit, will not let my voice be silenced. I can't do it. I think it's awesome that you have kept bringing your voice in spite of that. And I, um, yeah, I, I, I'm wondering as you went through life making choices and having that resonation um, that uh, if you have a voice as a black person, it could get you killed Mm -hmm. and you move forward anyway. But was there a bit of a push and pull um, with, Oh, let me have my, wait, I better not have my voice. And like, was there a struggle? Yeah, there still is. Um, You know, I've, toyed around with the idea of, you know, running for office or, you know, having a bigger platform. Um, And then it's like, oh, it just doesn't look like a winner to be in politics even (laughs) right now. I Uh, mean, not so much for my physical safety as how do you get above the, I don't know, there's so much inauthenticity and bull crap that you have to, you know, scream to be heard above. Yeah. I don't know that I'd want to, I don't know that the winners really win because <laughs> they have to take on all of the problems behind them mm-hmm. and all of the hate or dislike coming from opposition. Yeah. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. I, I think I'd rather go sing a song or write a book yeah. and tap into that. Well, I think that's one of the greatest gifts that artists have is if you become successful enough to have a platform, then you have a place to speak where people can, can hear you. And the song that I sent you, I actually made a video uh, about that in terms of my political views about it. So. And that's also a great song that you can get on Amazon and iHeartRadio. Yeah. On iTunes, too. You can get on iTunes. Okay. I, I, well, I always called it iTunes, and then now they call it Apple Music or something. Oh, and okay. they keep – technology keeps leaving me behind, so. Yeah. I'm, I'm technology challenged. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, when you say that um, if people spend a little bit of time with you, they're going to know that you're not going to stay silent, that you're going to have your voice. Mm-hmm. 
what's the driving force behind that? Like what, like somewhere in you, there's something that says, get up and have a voice, keep showing up, write this book, write this song. Can you, uh, share a little bit about that inner voice that might talk to you or, uh, get you to the pep pep rally of your life? Well, I, you know, it started with being young and my mother would have people come over and there would be political conversations. And I remember my mother had a friend who would come over and he would just be the loudest person in the room. We've got the people who have to start a song to shut him up, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, my grandmother was that way, too. You know, she my granddaddy was kind of like the silent type. But my grandmother was like, is she didn't. Oh, no, that doesn't. You know, like she up and out. You know, no yeah. filter. A lot of times, no filter at all. Uh, my mother tried to train me to have, have a filter. You know, don't <laughs> <laughs> have a little filter. Have a little filter. <laughs> but you know, she was just as bold and outspoken as they would have more in common than they would want to admit. Right. But, um, so it's just it just hasn't been um, a question about am I you know going to listen to that inner voice and say what's there for me to say. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm answering your question or not. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, um, you know, you were, you were mentioning that you were surprised that uh, your mom was able to do, donate $20,000 to the United Negro fund uh, and that she was saving and she told you to save, save, save. I didn't listen. You didn't listen. Okay. I didn't listen that's for a long time. It took me, well, go ahead and finish your question. I'm well, sorry. yeah, that's, I was going to ask, do you save, save, save? What has been your financial journey? Um, and in that balance of being a nurse to have the income, mm-hmm. uh, to being the artist and the poet and the songwriter, like what has been your financial journey of, of surviving or thriving? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of my life has been about surviving. Um, you know, I was like, oh, my mother, she's so, so uptight. She's so controlling. You know, I don't need to, you know, I knew I should say, but I was determined not to be like my mother. You know, <laughs> I'm just not going to be like you. So controlling. My goodness. You never have any fun. Okay. Well, 30 years later, when you don't have hardly any savings and now you have to work um so somewhere in the last 10 12 years i realized if i don't you know i'm not gonna be able to work till like do you want to work till you drop dead you know that's what you're gonna have to do so i over time i just came to the realization and you know along with a lot of the work i did with landmark that um, you might want to give up the stories and conversations about my mother, like trying to not be something, not be like her, and really learn to appreciate that she was able to retire in her early, late 50s or 60s Mm -hmm. and travel the world because she took her own advice, you know? So finally I gave up you know, my disdain for my mother's point of view. And then when I started working for Kaiser 
you know, there was a structure where you could, you know, save and contribute. So now I'm in a, fortunately, I'm in a position where I can be semi-retired. I work a couple of days a week from home. Mm-hmm. And um, that's been a blessing. Yeah. It's been a blessing for me. But Absolutely. it was a long journey to get to that place. Do you have any, besides maybe not saving or not tr- trying not to be your mom, do you have any financial regrets? Like looking back, oh, I wish, wished I had done this. I wished I had. Yeah. I wished I had listened to her. Mm-hmm. I wish I hadn't been so determined to be not her. Yeah. Um, she, one of the things she said was when you pay off your car, continue to put away the car note because, and I have, you know, her, um, a kind of adopted daughter mm-hmm. did that. Her adopted daughter kind of listened to everything my mother said. And mm-hmm. so she retired early, and I <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, it's not worth it to be making her wrong for, I mean, she was smart. She was a savvy, uh, businesswoman. Yeah, I was going to say she sounds very smart. She was. She's brilliant. You know, yeah. she's way ahead of her time, and you know, so I regret that I didn't listen to her um, mm-hmm. and got over my resentment of her. You know, I li- looked at it as she's bossy. You know, right. she was always saying, and, but then I and then I would have to borrow money from her. Right, and that was like. <laughs> Painful. I think when we borrow from family or lend to family, it's more than financial cost. <laughs> the yeah. emotional toll can be 10 times the amount of interest <laughs> that you pay. <laughs> yeah. What would you say to young people out there, especially um, young women of color, Mm-hmm. Um, who want to be an artist, who want to have their voice, um, who want to bring their gifts to the world. What what advice would you give to a, a young woman knowing what you know? Yeah. Well, I think I would say if you think you hate your mother or your parents, do everything you can to get over that and take on the best of what they want to and try to listen to what they have to say as a contribution. Um, And don't let the negative voices that say you'll you'll never be able to do that or that's going to be hard. Don't let those voices overtake you. Um, and then your own voice. I find that my own voice saying, oh, don't even bother. You can't do that was more of an obstacle than anybody who said anything. People have just always supported me and loved me and encouraged me to pursue being an artist. It's been my internal conversation that's gotten in the way. And if I were talking to a young person, I would say, Whenever that internal voice starts to overtake you, call somebody who knows who you are, who loves you, and listen to them. Because listening to that internal voice is like walking down a dark alley. You yeah. know, Chicago has lots of alleys. Yeah. Don't go down that alley. 
Don't go down the alley. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to them about saving or <laughs> <laughs> or um, financially? What should they do in order? Because I love all that you just said was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then how can they uh, temper that with with the financial piece? Yeah, you know, I I would say you please try to save save your money. Mm-hmm. Save your money, you know, but then I think, well, I didn't listen to my mother. Um so I you, you hear my hesitation because it's like, well, would they even listen to me? But if I had to say one thing, it's like I don't care if you save a dollar a day or find someone who's good with money and help have them help you figure out a way to save in a way that you, you don't have to uh, rely on yourself to, to put the money away, you know, yeah. Uh, find a way to, that the money is automatically saved. Um, but save save your money. Um, just like my parents said to me. Yeah. That's what I would say. It's the yeah. biggest thing. Yeah. And sometimes listen to your parents, even though you don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they know a couple things that we don't. (laughs) I woke up. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, my, I'm going to ask you this final question. Um, with all the music and the the writing that you've done and the beautiful story of the lion and the porcupine, um, What's the footprint you want to leave? What's the legacy that you want to leave? Um, Well, the legacy with the Little Liverpool Diaries is that um, as African-American people, we have so much to be proud of. Mm -hmm. You know, um, not every story that we have to tell is a tragedy. Um, We have a lot of stories that are such a contribution to everybody. So the legacy of that book is, you know, wow, the fun and the joy and the blessing of having, you know, every person, no matter what happened in your childhood, there's something you can find from that story that would be a contribution to someone. Yeah. And then with the lion and the porcupine, I think the legacy is that you don't have to go to songwriting school to become a songwriter. You don't have to. You know, I never thought I, I said, I'm not a children's book writer. How, I don't know anything about writing a children's book. This story came to me in a dream. So listen to, for artists, artists understand what I'm saying. You channel this stuff and the the greatness of an artist is, are you willing to listen to what's being channeled to you? Yeah. And I think the legacy of the lion and the porcupine is when a great idea comes to you, follow it because it came to you for a reason. Yeah. Did that answer your I question? Lo- it does. I lo- you know, I, um, what I, what I really hear from that is listen to your dreams. Yeah. Like listen to your dreams and follow them and follow follow them. Yeah. yeah. Ah, I could sit and talk to you for the next 20 hours. I was moved by so many of your stories. Um, and I, so I really encourage people to go out there and, and get the book, 
get the books, um, listen to the songs. But I, I really appreciate uh, that you gave voice to them and you listened to your coworker and you wrote the story and you're putting it out there and you're showing up. And um, so much appreciation. Um, where can people find you on social media, Susan? Um, SusanLiverpoolAuthor.com uh, is the website. And um, I have to be honest, I'm not big on Facebook, <laughs> but you can find me on Facebook. Okay, and then these are these are the books. Yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. you can find that on Amazon. Is that uh, better? He's making. I want to make sure we're getting the books perfect because yeah, Amazon. Yes, and the CD. It's on Amazon or cdbaby.com. You can also, or iTunes, you can download the music. Okay. Nobody has CDs anymore, so. I know. No. I'm still holding on to mine. I paid for them. I, <laughs> proof <laughs> that I bought them. <laughs> well, I hope that people buy your book uh, from hearing this podcast because I think they're they're all amazing. The stories are great. Um, and yeah, so I'm just so grateful. Um that you came on and shared all this. Um, and I want to say to our listeners, don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. Uh, Susan, it has been such a delight and a pleasure, and I wish you continued success on your journey. And I, I just uh, hope that you keep Uh, listening to your dreams and following them and keep bringing your gifts. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been a blessing. 